We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Arizona, Colorado, Indiana, Michigan, New Jersey, Tennessee, and Virginia. WinBet is now live in all of these states, and the excitement of Win Las Vegas has finally landed in online sports betting and casino play. From boosted parlays to live in-game offs on every major sport, WinBet gives you the tools to win. Sign up today for your risk-free $1,000 sports bet. Download the WinBet app now or visit wynnbet.com to start winning. And away we go. Episode 207 of the Al Galdi podcast. It is Tuesday, December 14th, 2021. And unfortunately, we have a major COVID-19 situation for the Washington football team. I know, I know. Who wants to hear about COVID-19? I sure don't. I'm certainly not thrilled to be talking about COVID-19. Like most of you, I am so sick of hearing about and reading about COVID-19. I am so sick of all of the opinions and lecturing and pontificating uh, that have come with COVID-19. But COVID-19 isn't going away. And COVID-19 at the moment is ravaging our Washington football team. You know, Monday was my birthday. Thank you, by the way, for all of the birthday wishes. And my birthday for this year regarding my football team ended up being about a disappointing loss to the Dallas Cowboys and then a COVID-19 situation getting even worse. Happy birthday to me. Uh, But it is nice to be with you on this Tuesday. I hope that you're doing well. I hope that you're healthy and thriving and conquering. Uh, Next segment, I'll get into it. This COVID-19 situation for the Washington football team, which on Monday put four more players on the reserve COVID-19 list, including Jonathan Allen. Yeah, John Allen now is on the reserve COVID-19 list. Also, we on Monday evening had multiple reports that the Washington football team has the first known case of the Omicron variant of COVID-19 in the NFL. Yes, Omicron is within the WFT. Isn't that just outstanding news? Omicron, that sounds like a transformer, doesn't it? We had Decepticons, uh, we have Omicron. But anyway, there's a lot to get to 
with this Washington football team COVID-19 situation. Who is out? What this means? And more. Because this situation is happening as Washington, remember, remains without its head athletic trainer, Ryan Vermillion, and is happening as Washington has a bunch of actual injuries that the team is dealing with. Ron Rivera on Monday afternoon talked about all of this during his day after the game Zoom press conference. Speaking of that presser, I'll have plenty for you uh, from that regarding the game, uh, that 27-20 loss to the Cowboys at FedEx Field on Sunday afternoon. What went wrong for Washington's offense, which was uh, terrible? Uh, We'll explore that off comments from Ron on Monday, including, yes, Ron on Taylor Heineke. Uh, Also on the show, another debacle of a game for the Wizards. Boy, are the Wizards a bad team right now. A 113-107 loss at the Denver Nuggets late night on Monday night. I know that the final score doesn't sound so bad, but trust me, the Wizards were bad. The Wizards were down by 33 points in the third quarter. And for those of you who are Virginia football fans, or at least are interested in Wahoo, uh, I'll give you my thoughts on the introductory press conference for Tony Elliott as Cavaliers head coach. You can tweet me at Al Galdi. You can email me, the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. Email from Jeffrey Southworth on the Washington football team of its loss to the Cowboys. Writes Jeffrey, I'm not sure if I am encouraged or discouraged. Uh, sure, there is a lot to not like, and a lot of what-ifs. We were overmatched in health, overmatched in roster talent, and overmatched in the timing of this game. Encouraged by the fight and resilience of this team, Washington fought to the end, discouraged that Brandon Sheriff isn't the anchor that he or his agent think that Sheriff is. Four games to win three. I think nine and eight gets you in on to Philly. Yeah, man, I agree. I've been saying that nine and eight should get Washington into the playoffs for a second consecutive season. Understand, Washington has not made the playoffs in back-to-back seasons since making the playoffs in three consecutive seasons from 1990 through 1992. It has been a while since uh, our team, the team currently known as the Washington football team, made the playoffs in back-to-back seasons. Uh, Regarding Sheriff, look, I've made my feelings clear. Good player, good dude, but he has hurt way too much He commits too many penalties for my liking. There's no way that I would have ever given him a second consecutive franchise tag as Washington did this past offseason. And there's no way that I would pay him the top of the market money that he's seeking via a long-term contract. Email from Philip C. on Ron Rivera and Taylor Heineke in the loss to the Cowboys. Subject, Tay-Tay, no-no, writes Philip. When Ron says, I want Taylor to make the throws he's capable of, Translation, don't try the throws you're not capable of making. Case in point, the deep throw to Terry McLaurin on which Terry got hurt. Go watch that again and see Curtis Samuel wide open, standing just beyond the first down marker. It was an easy first down, but Heineke was too locked in on trying to make a questionable deep throw. I am a Taylor Heineke fan to be sure, but good grief, That was just an awful game. I just hope he rebounds this week against Philly in heroic fashion like we've come to expect from him. Uh, Yeah, Tay-Tay had a very bad day on Sunday. Uh, He was terrible. Now, his protection was bad. His playmakers, not named Cam Sims and Adam Humphreys, did not make any plays. But Heineke was really bad and specific to the McLaurin play. So this play has gotten a lot of attention. And yes, Curtis Samuel was wide open for a first down. I would, though, say two things in Heineke's defense. Number one, Terry McLaurin 
has been one of the best receivers in the NFL this season at making contested catches. So the notion of throwing him a deep 50-50 ball on which he can make a big play isn't crazy. Now, I do think you can question the timing of the throw that uh, Taylor Heineke should have thrown that football sooner. But just the idea of throwing a deep 50-50 ball to Terry McLaurin, I don't think that that's nuts. Number two, the Cowboys came into the game having given up a lot of explosive passing plays. I talked about this on last Friday's show, episode 205. The Cowboys through week 13 were just 28th in the NFL in lowest explosive passing play rate allowed for sharp football stats. An explosive passing play is a pass that gains at least 20 yards. The Cowboys through week 13 per sharp football stats had allowed an explosive passing play rate this season of 10.8%. So the idea of trying to exploit that wasn't crazy. But yeah, on a third and five play like that, just get the first down. Uh, Email from Kevin on Chase Young versus Micah Parsons. Writes Kevin, not going to lie, watching Micah Parsons be the impact player that we thought Chase Young would be is gutting me. I've been a fan of this team for more than 25 years, but this is pushing me to the edge of what I can stomach. I don't know if I have it in me to watch a perennial defensive player of the year on our division rival for the next five years, especially if we have to pretend our version is just as good when we don't see production to match. Also, as an aside, the team needs to fix the stadium experience. It's more than 50% opposing team fans every week, even after a four-game winning streak for a game against our biggest rival. Cheers, a very disgruntled football team fan, Kevin. Yeah, Micah Parsons took over the first half of that game on Sunday in ways that were unholy and impure. Now, to be fair, Chase Young did do that last season. In fact, he did that in week 14 of last season. Uh, This loss to the Cowboys on Sunday was in week 14 of this season. But Washington in week 14 of last season improved to 6-7 with a 23-15 win over the San Francisco 49ers in Arizona. Chase Young was a human wrecking machine in that game. I have called that game the Chase Young game. Uh, Chase Young in that game, to me, had one of the greatest individual defensive performances in Washington history. A 47-yard fumble return for a touchdown, a forced fumble, a sack, two quarterback hits, and two pass defenses. Uh, But yes, that was last season. Uh, Chase Young, during his time healthy this season, did not have a single game that came close to what he did in the win over the 49ers last season. Micah Parsons this season through 13 games has 12 sacks, 27 quarterback hits, and three forced fumbles. Chase Young this season in nine games had one and a half sacks, four quarterback hits, and two forced fumbles. All you can hope for with Chase Young is that his recovery from the torn right ACL goes well and that he comes back humbled. You know, that he comes back ready to play the defensive scheme the way that it is supposed to be played. And that he comes back motivated like crazy to be the dominant force that he was drafted to be. That's all you can hope for at this point with Chase Young. But no doubt, uh, that was rather sobering, watching Micah Parsons kill it for the Cowboys at FedEx Field on Sunday afternoon. A FedEx Field that, yes, did feel like AT&T Stadium in Arlington, Texas. But yes, we hope for the best for Chase Young. We always hope that things are going well in your life, but we do know that it's not always the case that things are going well in your life. If you think that you need a lawyer, uh, let me tell you about a law firm 
that is ready to represent you if you've been wronged. Paulson and Nace. If you have a case, contact Paulson and Nace. Paulson and Nace handles complex personal injury, medical negligence, and wrongful death cases. The services of Paulson and Nace are available in D.C., Maryland, and West Virginia. Paulson and Nace is a law firm that wins. Paulson and Nace has recovered millions of dollars for the sick and injured. Why? Because Paulson and Nace has trial experience, which, believe it or not, is not something that every law firm has. You see, not all law firms focusing on medical malpractice, birth injuries, product liability, and other personal injury matters have trial experience. In fact, many law firms have no courtroom experience at all and look to settle such cases without ever presenting them to a jury. A client has limited options for reasonable settlement if he or she is represented by an attorney with limited trial experience. Paulson and Nace is different. Chris Nace is a past president of the D.C. Trial Lawyers. Matt Nace is a member of the board of the D.C. Trial Lawyers and has just tried two cases in D.C. Again, if you have a case, contact Paulson and Nace. If you feel as if you've been wronged, if you have a complex personal injury, medical negligence, or wrongful death case, or you think that you may have one but aren't sure, call Paulson and Nace and schedule a no-obligation appointment. Yeah, you're obligated to nothing. You can call Paulson and Nace at 202-902-7611. That's 202-902-7611. When you call, make sure that you tell Paulson and Nace that Al Galdi sent you. Schedule a no-obligation appointment by calling 202-902-7611. Paulson and Nace, when tragedy happens, let their family take care of yours. Well, it was last NFL season that the Washington football team did a spectacular job with the COVID-19 pandemic. Uh, No NFL team did a better job last season with the COVID-19 pandemic than the Washington football team did. Washington in the 2020 regular season had the fewest number of players put on a COVID-19 list, and that number was two. And both players weren't even on the active roster. Uh, Washington placed Matt Ioannidis on the reserve COVID-19 list of him having been on the reserve injured list. And Washington placed running back Javon Leak, the Maryland product, on the COVID-19 practice squad list. For comparison's sake, the Baltimore Ravens in the 2020 regular season put an NFL worst 42 players on a COVID-19 list. The Las Vegas Raiders were number two with 37 players. The NFL average without Washington was 15.4 players on a COVID-19 list. Washington, again, placed just two players on a COVID-19 list in the 2020 regular season. Well, that was the 2020 regular season. We're now in the midst of the 2021 regular season. And the Washington football team right now is in the midst of of a COVID-19 mess. Things were bad going into the 27-20 loss to the Dallas Cowboys at FedEx Field this past Sunday afternoon. Things now, much worse. Washington on Monday afternoon placed four more players on the reserve COVID-19 list. Principal among those four players, the team's best defensive player this season, interior defensive lineman Jonathan Allen. Also going on the reserve COVID-19 list, a key special teams player, backup linebacker David Mayo, and two practice squad players, edge defender William Bradley King and tight end Tamaric Hemingway, 
although Bradley King played in the loss to the Cowboys. Now, he played on just four of Washington's defensive snaps, but one of those snaps resulted in him getting into a fight with Cowboys right tackle Lyle Collins in the fourth quarter. Uh, Collins actually got disqualified from the game as Collins threw a punch at Bradley King after he shoved Dak Prescott out of bounds on a third down completion. But why was William Bradley King playing for Washington on Sunday? Well, that's because Washington went into the game with quite the COVID-19 situation already. Washington last Wednesday placed edge defender Montez Sweat on the reserve COVID-19 list. Remember, it had been anticipated that Montez in the game against the Cowboys might return from his four-game absence caused by the fractured jaw that he suffered in a loss at the Denver Broncos in Week 8. So much for Montez returning this past Sunday. Uh, Washington last Friday placed linebacker and special teams ace Kalik Hudson on the reserve COVID-19 list, although he was already on the reserve injured list. Washington this past Saturday placed edge defender James Smith-Williams and corner Daryl Roberts on the reserve COVID-19 list. And Washington this past Saturday activated William Bradley King and safety Jeremy Reeves from the practice squad as COVID-19 replacements. And then Washington on Sunday morning, hours before the game against the Cowboys, placed edge defender Casey Tuhill on the reserve COVID-19 list. So if you're keeping track, the following players are currently on the COVID-19 list. Jonathan Allen, Montez Sweat, James Smith-Williams, Casey Tuhill, William Bradley King, David Mayo, Daryl Roberts, Khalid Hudson, and Tamara Hemingway. Uh, just outstanding. There's also this. NFL insider Tom Pelissero of NFL Network and NFL.com on Monday evening tweeted the following, quote, a tier three staffer with the Washington football team tested positive for the Omicron variant of COVID-19, per source, the first known case of that variant in the NFL. Another sign of the evolving nature of the situation, on the same day, 36 NFL players went on COVID reserve lists, end quote. So per Pelissero, the Washington football team has the first known case of the Omicron variant of COVID-19 in the NFL. Boy, that's just dandy. That's just peachy. Uh, ESPN NFL insider Adam Schefter on Monday evening tweeted the following, quote, sources the positive case of Omicron in Washington is not a player nor member of the football operation. It is a tier three employee who had limited contact with other members of the organization, end quote. Now, tier three staffer, what exactly does that mean? Well, tier three of NFL personnel consists of certain operational personnel, in-house media and broadcast personnel, uh, field managers, transportation providers, and individuals who perform essential facility, stadium, or event services, but do not require close contact with tier one individuals. So who knows who this tier three staffer is? We certainly hope that this tier three staffer is doing well, but you have this now to be concerned with from a Washington football team perspective that, you know, when we hear about people going on the reserve COVID-19 list, it's either because those people have tested positive for COVID-19 or those people have been deemed close contacts of those who have COVID-19. 
What we know about these variants is that some of them can be quite persistent in terms of infecting those who have been vaccinated for COVID-19 and perhaps have even been boosted for COVID-19. So the fact that Omicron has been in the Washington football team facility, or at the very least is in the Washington football team organization, uh, that's not good news, okay? That's not good news on several levels, including a football level. So Washington now is in what are called enhanced COVID-19 protocols, which means that all players and staff, regardless of vaccination status, are required to test daily, wear masks indoors at the team's facilities, and meet virtually. The good news is that Jonathan Allen is vaccinated for COVID-19. So instead of him being out for a minimum of 10 days, as Montez Sweat is, all Allen needs to do is have two negative COVID-19 tests 24 hours apart. But Allen's status for what is a big game at the Philadelphia Eagles this Sunday afternoon at 1 is very much up in the air. Uh, This is just terrible news, okay? This is like the last thing that the Washington football team needed on Monday. It's amazing. Last year, no COVID-19 vaccines, but Washington did just fine with the pandemic. This year, plenty of COVID-19 vaccines and boosters, and Washington is getting rocked by the pandemic. Uh, Of course, this year, we have variants of COVID-19. Last year, in theory, we did not have variants, but geez, what a mess. And the situation for Washington's defensive line now is truly absurd. I mean, think about this. Washington, for its loss to the Cowboys, had three of Washington's top four edge defenders in Montez Sweat, James Smith-Williams, and Casey Tuhill on the reserve COVID-19 list. Of course, Washington's top edge defender, Chase Young, is on the reserve injured list. Uh, Now you have Jonathan Allen and William Bradley King on the reserve COVID-19 list. And Washington's COVID-19 mess is in addition to the team's injury mess, especially on offense. Uh, Sunday's loss to the Cowboys featured four key Washington offensive players leave the game due to injury. Uh, The starting quarterback, Taylor Heineke, left the game due to a knee injury, although he also dealt with an elbow injury that he, after the game, said was the more significant problem. Washington's top receiver, Terry McLaurin, left the game due to concern that he suffered a concussion. Washington starting left tackle Charles Leno Jr. dealt with a back ailment and played on 91% of Washington's offensive snaps as opposed to playing on 100% of Washington's offensive snaps. And Washington starting center Tyler Larson was courted off the field with an Achilles injury. This is Washington's first string center Chase Roulier and third string center Wes Schweitzer are on the reserve injured list. Oh, by the way, Washington's starting right tackle, Samuel Cosme, is on the reserve injured list. Washington's top tight end, Logan Thomas, is on the reserve injured list. And Washington's third down running back, J.D. McKissick, has missed each of the last two games due to a concussion. Ron Rivera, on Monday afternoon, did his day after the game Zoom press conference. This was prior to this latest batch of players going on the reserve COVID-19 list. Here was Ron on whether he worries that there's a point at which Washington's many injuries and absences become insurmountable. Well, I wouldn't say it insurmountable, but it most certainly will test your depth more so than anything else. And that's, that's where you get concerned, um, you know, because our, uh, you know, we've lost our top two centers right now. So that is a little concerning as far as the offensive line is concerned. But, you know, the guys that have stepped up and played have done a pretty good job. Um, you know, uh, you know that 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 first half. You know, I, I thought offensively came out a little a little a little flat, a little tired. You know, and it's been 
it's been a heck of a four weeks prior to that for those guys playing the way they had. But, um, you know, I think at the end of the day, that first half just kind of caught up to us a little bit. Interesting to hear Ron and Matt Cutt say that he thought that Washington on Sunday, quote, came out a little flat, a little tired, end quote. Uh, more on this issue of Washington being tired in a bit. But, you know, this Washington season is really starting to take on the vibe that those 2017 and 2018 Washington seasons had. Uh, those two seasons, to me, are the most ridiculous seasons in Washington football history in terms of injuries. Washington's 2017 season was a nightmare from a standpoint of offensive line health. Washington's 2018 season was a nightmare from a standpoint of quarterback health. Uh, and there were plenty of other injury issues for Washington in those seasons. Well, when you add up everything that Washington has dealt with in terms of injuries and now COVID-19 induced absences this season, uh, this season is on the level of those 2017 and 2018 Washington seasons. And making things even worse for Washington this season is that the head athletic trainer isn't with the team. Yeah, Ryan Vermillion. (laughs) Remember him? So October 4th, the day after Washington improved to 2-2 two and two with that come-from-behind 34-30 win at the Atlanta Falcons. It was on that day, October 4th, that we learned that Washington Director of Sports Medicine and Head Athletic Trainer Ryan Vermillion had been placed on administrative leave for what the team called an ongoing criminal investigation unrelated to the team. Uh, this was due to the DEA the Drug Enforcement Administration, and the Loudoun County Sheriff's Department on October 1st having conducted searches at Washington's practice facility and at Vermillion's residence. So the DEA and the Loudoun County Sheriff's Department raided Washington's practice facility, but this entire situation is unrelated to the team. Okay. Uh, October 7th, we had multiple reports that the DEA investigation had to do with prescription drugs. October 9th, we had multiple reports that Washington had placed an assistant athletic trainer on administrative leave. This guy, uh, Doug Kwan, or Quone, uh, last name spelled Q-U-O-N. Ron Rivera on Monday on how Washington has been managing without the head of its training staff and Ryan Vermillion. Well, we've had a full training staff. And they've been doing a pretty good job. Um, you just can't account for the injuries that we've had. We've had several guys in the concussion protocol. Uh, you can't account for that. We're not going to skip guys out of the protocol before there's time to get them out. Um, there are some things that are beyond our control, no matter how many people you have in your training staff. Um, you know, we've had season-ending injuries that you can't account for, and that's not the staff's fault. So... As far as that's concerned, you know, um, I shouldn't feel like I have to defend them uh, because I think they've done a great job getting guys back on the field, but there are just some things that we can't account for. Concussions are one of them and season-ending injuries are the other one. And as far as that's concerned, too, we really can't account for what happens with the protocols as far as COVID is concerned. Yeah, you know, it may be that Washington has not missed Ryan Vermillion at all, but here's what I know. Ryan Vermillion spent 18 seasons as the head athletic trainer for the Carolina Panthers, 2002 through 2019. Nine of those seasons 
were spent working under then Panthers head coach and current Washington head coach Ron Rivera, aka Don Ron. Note this too. So Washington officially hired Ron Rivera as head coach on New Year's Day 2020, January 1st, 2020. Washington officially hired Ryan Vermillion as head athletic trainer on January 6th, 2020. Ryan Vermillion, who Ron calls RV, was among the first people who Ron hired upon becoming Washington head coach. It was Ryan Vermillion who during the 2020 season received public credit from Ron Rivera for the excellent job that Washington did with the COVID-19 pandemic. Again, Washington in the 2020 regular season had the fewest number of players put on a COVID-19 list in the NFL, just two. So I can't tell you for sure that Washington has missed Ryan Vermillion, but I can tell you that Ron Rivera loves himself some Ryan Vermillion and very much values having Ryan Vermillion. And so it's not far-fetched to suggest that there has been some kind of competitive disadvantage in Washington not having Ryan Vermillion since early October. Now look, maybe Ryan Vermillion is a bad dude. You know, maybe Washington has had Walter White as the team's head athletic trainer. I don't know. I'm not here to just assume guilt. But at the same time, why then is the DEA uh, up in Ryan Vermillion's business? But whatever, his guilt or innocence is to be determined. From a football standpoint, this would not seem to have been a good thing. Ryan Vermillion being away from the team, again, given how much Ron has valued Ryan. Is there a chance that Ryan Vermillion is back with the Washington football team this season? This was Ron Rivera on Monday, and then you'll hear a follow-up exchange with Washington football team insider Michael Phillips of Richmond.com. We're hopeful, but, you know, again, this is something that's a, a court matter, and we have to just wait till whatever goes on and it eventually gets taken care of, um, hopefully sooner than later. So you haven't been given any kind of timetable? Uh, no, we have no idea. You know, we're removed from that. Yeah, there's a lot of mystery with this Ryan Vermillion situation. But I want to go back to Ron Rivera on Monday saying that Washington in its loss to the Cowboys, quote, came out a little flat, a little tired, end quote. This issue of Washington being tired. So as I've discussed, Washington is in the midst of facing one extra rested team after another. Week 13, the win at the Las Vegas Raiders. Washington won that game despite A, having played the previous Monday night, B, having had to travel all the way out to Las Vegas, and C, the Raiders having not played since Thanksgiving. Sunday's loss to the Cowboys came off Washington having played, right, at Vegas the previous Sunday, and off the Cowboys having not played since two Thursdays ago. Yeah, the Cowboys played on consecutive Thursdays, played on Thanksgiving, and then played the following Thursday night. And then this Sunday's game at the Eagles will come off the Eagles having had their bye week. Yeah, the Eagles' bye week for this season was week 14. You know, Washington should not publicly complain about the schedule because doing so is loser talk and uh, doing so would make Washington look soft. But we as Washington fans sure as heck can complain about the schedule. This three-week stretch is ridiculous. Three consecutive extra rested opponents. Like, how many times in NFL history has a team had to face something like that? Especially when that team at one point during a three-week stretch 
is coming off a Monday nighter and has to go from playing on Monday night to playing out West. I mean, does that make any sense to you? Ron Rivera on Monday on whether Washington in the loss to the Cowboys felt the effects of playing a second consecutive extra rested opponent. I thought they did a little bit. Um, you know, like I said, that that first portion of the game, and you watch it, we're, we we look a little sluggish, in my opinion. And again, you know, I'm just being upfront about it. Uh, but I, I think as the game wore on, you could feel our guys, you know, finding some energy and then coming out in the second half. And really, I thought they gave themselves a chance to win. And Washington being sluggish would help to explain, not justify, but explain why Washington got pasted. In the first half on Sunday, Washington trailed the Cowboys at the half 24 nothing. Uh, then did win the second half 23. Now look, there's no excuse for Washington getting ripped as Washington got ripped in the first half on Sunday. Let me make that crystal clear. But you do want to understand what the heck happened here. Uh, Ron on Monday on what, if anything, he can do to help this issue of Washington uh, being tired at the start of a big game like Sunday's loss to the Cowboys. Well, I think the nice thing about it is we played at home this week and 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 we didn't have to we didn't have to travel cross country. So I think our guys for the most part, you know, got some rest last night. They'll get rest tonight and tomorrow. And, you know, hopefully we'll get them a little bit fresher this week. And they better be fresher because Sunday's game at the Eagles is a big one. Uh Washington currently is in possession of the third and final wild card spot in the NFC. If the NFL playoffs started today. Uh, Washington would be the NFC's seventh seed and would play a game at the Green Bay Packers in the wild card round. But Washington is tied with four other teams in the NFC at six and seven. Washington, the Minnesota Vikings, the Philadelphia Eagles, the Atlanta Falcons, and the New Orleans Saints. Each of those five teams is six and seven. So Washington's game at the Eagles this Sunday afternoon at 1. It's huge. The truth is this, as big and as hyped as Washington's game against the Cowboys at FedEx Field this past Sunday afternoon was, you could very much argue that this Sunday's game at the Eagles is more meaningful from a postseason contention standpoint for Washington. Uh, I believe that Washington needs to go at least 3-1 and one the rest of the regular season to get an NFC wildcard spot. I do think that 9 and 8 will do it for Washington. So Washington could lose both of its games against the Cowboys and still make the playoffs. The two games against the Eagles matter a lot because Washington and Philly potentially are vying for that last NFC wildcard spot. The two other wildcard teams in the NFC right now are the 8 and 4 Los Angeles Rams and the 7 and 6 San Francisco 49ers. But man, things just refuse to be easy for the Washington football team this season, and things now even more difficult with Jonathan Allen going on the reserve COVID-19 list, and who knows who else may be going on the reserve COVID-19 list. Up next, much more on the Washington football team. We'll explore the many things that went wrong for Washington's offense in the loss to the Cowboys. Washington's defense in that game played well enough to win. Uh, the offense did not We'll get to why, including comments from Ron Rivera on Monday, after this. Well, four games are left in the Washington football team's regular season as Washington contends for a playoff spot. We have the big game at the Philadelphia Eagles this Sunday afternoon at 1, followed by a big game at the Dallas Cowboys on Sunday Night Football the night after Christmas, followed by Washington's final home game of the regular season. 
home to the Eagles, Sunday afternoon, January 2nd at 1. Do not exhaust yourself searching all over the internet to find tickets to Washington football team games. That's because TickPick, that's T-I-C-K-P-I-C-K, is the original no-fee ticket site and the only ticket site that you'll ever need as your go-to for NFL tickets. You see, TickPick got rid of all of those awful service fees that the other ticket sites charge. This allows TickPick to guarantee the best prices on all of its NFL tickets. Don't believe this? Look, if you could find better prices for the same seats on another ticket site, TickPick will give you 110% of the difference in the purchase price. And so if you're looking to watch the Washington football team live in person down the stretch of the regular season, TickPick has you covered. Again, TickPick guarantees the best prices on all of its NFL tickets. No more of those ridiculous service fees. Visit TickPick.com slash Galdi right now to save $10 on your first order of Washington football team tickets. That's T-I-C-K-P-I-C-K dot com slash Galdi. That's TickPick.com slash Galdi. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time, the Roast of Tom Brady, a Netflix live event happening May 5th Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. More now on the Washington football team. So who knows where we're headed with Washington's COVID-19 situation, but regardless of where that situation is going, Washington, off the 27-20 loss to the Dallas Cowboys at FedEx Field this past Sunday afternoon, has another big game this Sunday afternoon when Washington will be at the Philadelphia Eagles at one in a battle of six and seven teams. Washington's offense at the Eagles needs to be a lot better that Washington's offense was in the loss to the Cowboys. Washington, in the loss to the Cowboys, scored just 14 offensive points because the other six points, right, came via the Cole Holcomb pick six. Washington, in the loss to the Cowboys, averaged just 3.6 yards per play. Washington, in the loss to the Cowboys, went just 3 of 14 
on third downs. And Washington, in the loss to the Cowboys, committed three turnovers. Really bad offensive performance for the Washington football team this past Sunday. Taylor Heineke, this Sunday at the Eagles, unquestionably needs to be better in that game than he was in the loss to the Cowboys. Heineke, in the loss to the Cowboys, had his worst game as a Washington quarterback. Went just 11 of 25 for just 122 yards, 4.88 yards per pass attempt. Touchdown and an interception. He threw multiple near picks. He took four sacks, including a sack strip that resulted in a lost fumble that was returned for a touchdown. He had three carries for eight yards. Taylor Heineke's total QBR for ESPN for the game, as of games through Sunday, was an atrocious 4.9. Yeah, 4.9. Total QBR is on a scale of 0 to 100. A total QBR of 4.9 is wretched. Uh, A total QBR of 4.9 is, as former Washington head coach Steve Spurrier once said, Not very good. No. No, it's not. Now, in fairness to Taylor Heineke, his pass protection this past Sunday was bad. His playmakers this past Sunday too often did not make plays. And he this past Sunday dealt with multiple injuries. Uh, Taylor Heineke dealt with an elbow injury in the first half. He then left the game in the fourth quarter with a knee injury. Heineke, after the game, indicated that the elbow injury was the more problematic of the two injuries. Rod Rivera on Monday afternoon at his day after the game Zoom press conference on if he noticed Taylor Heineke's elbow adversely affect his play in the loss to the Cowboys. Uh, no, uh, he was pretty sore though afterwards. Um, I mean, you know, he threw the uh, he threw that deep ball to Terry that was almost caught by Terry, which was almost a, another tremendous play that he made. And then he threw the other one um, to Cam Sims for the touchdown. So, uh, it, you know, it's sore, but I don't think it affected his ability to throw the ball downfield. Speaking of throwing the ball downfield. So Taylor Heineke's actual interception in the loss to the Cowboys obviously was not good. But that interception to me was a function of a great play by edge defender Randy Gregory as much as anything. What bothered me the most about Heineke's performance in the loss to the Cowboys, the near picks, the interceptable passes that were not intercepted. Uh, And what stood out in this regard the most, two plays on the same drive. Washington's sixth offensive drive resulted in a second quarter punt. The fifth snap of the drive, Taylor Heineke, a near pick on a second and 20 deep shotgun incompletion on a pass that was thrown into the vicinity of three Cowboys defenders. And then two snaps later, Taylor Heineke, another near pick. This on a third and 15 deep shotgun incompletion on a pass that was thrown into the vicinity of five Cowboys defenders. And if you have access to the all 22 view of the game, watch this play via that view. Terry McLaurin is screaming wide open near the right sideline. Ron Rivera on Monday on how Taylor Heineke in the loss of the Cowboys managed the balance of taking shots and playing smart. I thought he took his shots when he had chances. Um, you know, I, I do think, though, that once, you know, once he, he presses a little bit, it, it, it does tend to look bad. Um, a couple times yesterday, he threw in the coverage that, that, you know, we got fortunate the ball got dropped by the defenders, to be honest. 
um, you know, it's it's one of those things that you, you got to be smart in your opportunities, um, and you can't you know you can't try to force it, which he did do. Um, but when he had some opportunities to make plays, he did, and that's what we're looking for as well. So it, it's kind of that, like you said, how does he balance it? Well, it's it's uh, it, it's pretty tricky, but um, you know, it's one of those things if. There's a couple of plays earlier as opposed to a couple of negatives. It's a little different. You know, I, I thought we had the uh, the tunnel screen set up pretty well. We caught him in a zero blitz, and unfortunately, uh, you know, their guy went up and made a play. If he misses that ball, if, you know, but if he doesn't tip it, uh, who knows what happens at that point. But, you know, there's nothing you can do about that. Yeah, Taylor Heineke has this penchant of pressing and of making panic plays when things aren't going well. And it's odd because I don't consider Heineke to be like a panicky person. You know, Taylor Heineke has been really clutch for Washington this season. Taylor Heineke has been really good in a number of pressure spots for Washington this season, but he also has made a number of bad and unnecessary throws when Washington has been trailing this season. I am all for my quarterback taking risks, but you want to be smart and calculated with your risks. And Heineke is still working on that aspect of his game. People like to talk about his lack of arm strength. You know, to me, if he would just stop throwing off his back foot so often, the arm strength thing wouldn't be nearly as much of a thing. But beyond the arm strength thing is the him making unnecessarily risky throws thing. Uh, It's almost like you want to put some Alex Smith into Taylor Heineke, you know? Alex Smith and Taylor Heineke are at the opposite ends of the quarterback risk-taking spectrum. Alex, too conservative. Taylor, too risky. We need like a combination of the two. But like I said, there was more to Washington's bad offensive performance in the loss to the Cowboys than just Taylor Heineke. Uh, Washington's offensive line had maybe its worst game of the season. Now, Washington's offensive line has been walloped by injuries this season, no doubt. And the offensive line overall has been good this season. But Sunday was a bad day for Washington's offensive line. Washington's offensive line allowed five sacks and nine quarterback hits and committed two accepted penalties. Ron Rivera on Monday on the performance of Washington's offensive line and the loss to the Cowboys. Well, I think there's, you know, I've got to give them credit. Uh, first and foremost, you know, you don't ever want to take it away from, from, from your opponent. But at the same time, there are some things that we could have done better. Most certainly, I do believe that. And, and as I said earlier, I thought in that first half, we were a little tired. You know, we, 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 we kind of got it going uh, in the second half. And, and as things started to progress, you saw us start to win the blocks. You start to, uh, start to move the ball. So there are some things that, you know, we most certainly will shore up and work on. And hopefully in the meantime, we'll get a few more guys back on the football field and uh, we'll see what happens. Yeah, as I said on Monday's show, episode 206, I did not think that Sunday was a banner day for Scott Turner. Uh, Scott's offense in this loss to the Cowboys allowed for Taylor Heineke to take a pounding. And, you know, some of that was on Taylor Heineke himself, but you as an offensive coordinator have got to do a better job of scheming out of all of the pressure that your quarterback is facing. And Scott, to me, Uh, Did not do a good enough job of that. Uh, You know, get Taylor Heineke on the move. Call plays that establish moving pockets. Call quick game. Go no huddle. Do things to slow down the pressure, to mitigate the pressure. Washington, to me, did not do enough of those things on Sunday. Uh, Washington also did not get nearly enough from its receivers, tight ends, and running backs. You know, you talk about helping your quarterback out. Can you help a brother out? Uh, There was not nearly enough of that 
for Taylor Heineke on Sunday. What is going on with Curtis Samuel? Curtis Samuel in the loss to the Cowboys, no receptions on two targets and playing on just 21% of Washington's offensive snaps, a total of 14 offensive snaps. This was Curtis Samuel's third game back from his five-game absence caused by his nagging groin injury. Curtis Samuel in his return game, the win over the Seattle Seahawks at FedEx Field on Monday Night Football in Week 12, one reception for nine yards on one target and one carry for four yards in playing on 24% of Washington's offensive snaps, a total of 20 offensive snaps. Curtis Samuel in the win at the Las Vegas Raiders in Week 13, one reception for minus one yard on one target and two carries for minus one yard in playing on 30% of Washington's offensive snaps, a total of 20 offensive snaps. So not only has Samuel like barely produced since his return, but his playing time went down on Sunday. He went from playing on 20 of Washington's offensive snaps in each of Washington's previous two games to playing on just 14 of Washington's offensive snaps in the loss to the Cowboys. Rod Rivera on Monday on why Curtis Samuel's snap count went down in the loss to the Cowboys. I think it came down to play calling more and personnel calling more than anything else. You know, um, he's a guy that we got to get the ball in his hands and 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 get him rolling, and and so we'll you know we'll work on that. Okay, uh, Ron on Monday on how he would like to get Curtis Samuel more involved. Um, just using him the way that we know how to use him. You know, uh, the, the guy is a dynamic player, and 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 believe me, when when he gets rolling, gets the ball in his hands, he can he can be very explosive for us. I believe Ron when he says that, but this just has been a lost first season for Curtis Samuel with Washington. DeAndre Carter on Sunday, a brutal drop. Washington's 14th offensive drive resulted in Kyle Allen's fourth quarter loss fumble on a third and three sack strip by edge defender Randy Gregory. Second snap of the drive and the snap right before the loss fumble. DeAndre Carter, a killer drop on a perfectly thrown deep ball by Kyle Allen on a second and three shotgun incompletion. So it wasn't just Taylor Heineke who was filled by his playmakers on Sunday. Kyle Allen got filled as well. Deami Brown. Deami Brown fell down on Sunday. No receptions on one target. Washington's first offensive drive resulted in a first quarter punt. Fifth snap of the drive. Deami Brown fell down on a Taylor Heineke third and 13 deep shotgun incompletion intended for Deami on a play that nearly resulted in an interception. Corner Anthony Brown dropped the interception. Uh, you had Ricky Seals-Jones having two drops on Sunday. Uh, Ricky Seals-Jones was back from a three-game absence caused by a hip injury that he dealt with in the win over the Tampa Bay Buccaneers at FedEx Field in Week 10. But uh, Ricky had a drop on an offensive play. Washington's eighth offensive drive was the opening drive of the second half, resulted in a third-quarter punt. The first snap of the drive, Ricky Seals-Jones, a drop on a Taylor Heineke first and 10 shotgun incompletion. And then Ricky Seals-Jones had a drop on Washington's two-point conversion attempt that followed Jonathan Williams fourth quarter, fourth and goal, one-yard shotgun handoff, touchdown run. Seals-Jones could not make the catch on a Kyle Allen shotgun pass. We also, of course, had the Antonio Gibson fumbling problem popping up again. Uh, Gibson and the loss to the Cowboys, another fumble. Uh, Washington's 10th offensive drive, second snap of the drive on a second and 11 for Washington at its 19 with, yes, Washington trailing 24-8 in the third quarter, but also, yes, Washington having established some momentum in the game, Antonio Gibson, a lost fumble on a Taylor Heineke 
six-yard shotgun completion. The fumble, Gibson's sixth fumble in 13 games this season. Ensuing Cowboys offensive drive started at the Washington 25. Did only result in three as opposed to seven or eight. Uh, The drive resulted in Greg Zerline's late third quarter, 29-yard field goal for a 27-8 Cowboys lead. Ron Rivera on Monday on the Antonio Gibson fumbling problem. Well, you know, the hard part about it, and I had a, uh, a longtime NFL coach, Jim Skipper, who, who's one of my favorite coaches to, to have worked with me, um, always used to say that the, 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 the hardest thing guys have to learn to understand is that when they go to fall, when they're being tackled, that's when they have to truly understand when to protect the ball. Okay, because most times when guys are going to the ground, they're really bracing for the impact of hitting the ground as opposed to protecting the ball. And it kind of looks a little bit like that because a lot of his his uh, his problems do seem to come when he is headed down. And so we'll just continue to work it. I think Randy does a great job in trying to teach it and get him to understand. And we'll continue to work on protecting the football. Yeah, I mean, what else are you going to do with the Antonio Gibson fumbling problem? I mean, Gibson is too much of an offensive weapon to just bench. Like, I know it feels really good to say, hey, just bench him, just sit him. Well, okay, now what at running back for Washington? So, like, to me, Gibson is too good to just put on the bench and just, you know, bury. But the fumbling problem this season clearly is a major issue. Now, a bright spot in terms of playmakers for Washington in the loss to the Cowboys was Cam Sims. Uh, Adam Humphreys had a nice game too, but Cam, three receptions for 69 yards and a touchdown on four targets in playing on 59% of Washington's offensive snaps. His touchdown catch was sensational. Washington's ninth offensive drive resulted in Taylor Heineke's third quarter, first and 10, 43-yard shotgun play-action touchdown bomb to Cam Sims, who made a spectacular catch over corner Trayvon Diggs on a 50-50 ball. Uh, The play initially ruled an incompletion, but Rod Rivera successfully challenged the initial ruling. We, of course, have seen Cam Sims make great catches before. Go back to the 23-17 win at the Pittsburgh Steelers in Week 13 of last season. Cam Sims in that game, five receptions for 92 yards on nine targets. Among those receptions, uh, Alex Smith, fourth quarter, third and four, 29 yards. Shotgun completion to Cam Sims, who made a tremendous one-arm catch with his right arm. So Cam makes these highlight-worthy catches, but Cam's playing time continues to be sporadic, season in and season out. It feels like every season now, we have the conversation of why isn't Cam Sims playing more? Uh, Cam this season has played in 10 of Washington's 13 games, but Cam this season has played on just 15.6% of Washington's overall offensive snaps. Cam this season has 10 receptions. That's it, 10 receptions for 150 yards and two touchdowns on 13 targets. Yeah, Cam has been targeted a mere 13 times in 10 games this season. Ron Rivera on Monday on whether he's seeing enough from Cam Sims to warrant more snaps and targets. Um, I think uh, a little bit of both. You know, he's done some good things. You see him constantly working in in in, in practice, um, doing the things that uh, you need him to do to show you what he can do. And then as he makes more plays, yeah, we have. He's a guy that you know does deserve to, to be out there a little bit more. 
Yeah, I'm sure that Ron Rivera and Scott Turner have their reasons for why Cam Sims has been targeted just 13 times in 10 games this season. Cam has had an issue with drops, but a guy with the playmaking ability that Cam Sims possesses uh, is worthy of some more opportunities. Well, the Wizards right now are in the midst of a stretch of nine road games in 10 games. The Wiz on Monday night began a six-game road trip, and the Wiz right now are reeling. Uh, They fell to 15-13 and with a 113-107 loss at the Denver Nuggets on Monday night. Now, 113-107 may not sound like that bad of a loss, but if you stayed up to watch the game, you know that that final score is misleading. This game was a disaster. For the Wizards. Uh, facing a Nuggets team for which the Wizards head coach Wes Unsell Jr. was an assistant for years. Facing a Nuggets team that was without a number of key players in Jamal Murray and Michael Porter Jr. and Will Barton and Austin Rivers, the Wizards never led in the game. The Wizards trailed by 12 points in the first quarter, 18 points in the second quarter, and 33 points in the third quarter. Yeah, the Wizards in the third quarter at one point trailed 81-48. The score in the third quarter at one point was Nuggets 81, Wizards 48. Now, the Wizards did rally in the fourth quarter to at least make the game respectable. Wizards won the fourth quarter 37-22, but the game had already been decided. Now, the Wizards were without Kyle Kuzma for a second consecutive game due to NBA health and safety protocols. And the Wizards, yes, remain without Rui Hachimura, who has yet to play this season due to personal reasons, and remain without Thomas Bryant, who has yet to play this season as he recovers from a partially torn left ACL that was suffered last January. But still, I mean, there's no excuse being down by 33 points in the third quarter at a Nuggets team that, you know, is decent, but is nothing special. And again, was missing some key players. The Wizards are a bad basketball team right now. The Wizards now are just 5-10 and 10 since their 10-3 and 3 start to the season. Uh, the Wizards did hold the Nuggets to 10-32 of 32 on threes, but the Wizards allowed the Nuggets to go 27-47 of 47 on twos, and the Wizards did a bad job of defending without fouling. Nuggets went 29-33 of 33 on free throws. The Wizards went just 13-21. of 21 on free throws. And while the Nuggets were without some key players, the Nuggets did have their best player, Nikola Jokic. And Nikola uh, was all over the place on Monday night. The Wizards got smashed by one of the best players in the NBA in Nikola Jokic. Uh, Jokic went 1-2 on threes, 8-12 on twos, 9-11 on free throws. He finished with 28 points, 19 rebounds, 9 assists versus 4 turnovers, and three steals, and he did all of this in just 30 minutes, 36 seconds of playing time as a starter. Now, he actually got ejected with 6.09 left in the fourth quarter. Uh, That was actually one of the reasons the Wizards rallied in the fourth quarter. Jokic gets ejected 6.09 left in the fourth quarter with the Wizards trailing 103.86. The Wizards won the rest of the game 21-10. This was Wes Unsell Jr. late night on Monday night at his post-game press conference on what happened to the Wizards in this loss at Denver. I thought, you know, we, we were once again generating open shots and we start the game 3 for 15 from 3. Um, so that's demoralizing. You know, it's it's frustrating when you're able to, 
you know, create the offense you're looking for and you don't get the payoff. So there was a lot of frustration with that. Um, and I thought it affected our efforts and energy, our focus on the other end. Um, you know, the second half of that third quarter, obviously the whole fourth, um, that was kind of the, you know, hey, desperate times, desperate measures. But it's good that we, you know, stayed the course and just kept playing. We could easily just said, you know what, not our night. We're just throwing the towel. Um, so it was good to see us respond, finally make some shots, try to get some stops, uh, continue to play together, try to play the right way, um, get, at least give yourself a chance. We could have cut it to four. You know, obviously didn't happen, but still a ball game. It was, but the game should have never gotten away from the Wizards as it did. Uh, now, Bradley Beal, again, did not have a big scoring game, although he was far from the Wizards' biggest problem. Beal went 2 of 5 on threes and 6 of 14 on twos, finished with 19 points and 10 assists versus two turnovers in 38 minutes, 47 seconds as a starter. So the numbers for Beal were fine, but what teams are doing right now with Bradley Beal is turning him into a facilitator. So if you're the Denver Nuggets, you take this, right? Bradley Beal, who is more than capable of dropping 40, scoring just 19 points, even though he was pretty efficient as a shooter. And even though, yes, he did have 10 assists versus two turnovers. The Wizards right now are not getting dynamic Bradley Beal because teams are not allowing the Wizards to get dynamic Bradley Beal. Uh, Spencer Dinwiddie and Montrez Harrell, to me, remain the Wizards' two biggest problems. These two guys were so good for the Wizards during their 10-3 and three start. Uh, these two guys have been two problems for the Wizards during this 5-10 and 10 rut. Spencer Dinwiddie on Monday night, 0 of 2 on threes, 3 of 6 on twos, 3 of 5 on free throws. He scored just 9 points to go with 3 assists versus 4 turnovers and 5 rebounds in 24-23 as a starter. Spencer Dinwiddie is just not producing enough offensively right now. Dinwiddie over 6 games in this month of December has gone just 4 of 22 on threes and has totaled just 50 points. Yeah, Dinwiddie has scored a total of 50 points over six games this month. 8.33 points per game. Uh, West Jr. has been all over Dinwiddie during these postgame press conferences. Take a listen to this. West Jr. during his postgame presser on Monday night on Dinwiddie and Beal. And once again, we, we have to find a way to get those two on the same page and, and get them both, you know, uh, aggressive and playing well on the offensive end. That's been a struggle for us. And I think it's something we really have to kind of hone in on and figure out because there, there are you know two of our best players, and we both we we need them both to play at the uh, the highest level and be the best version of of themselves. So how about that, West Junior saying that the Wizards need to get Dinwiddie and Beal on the same page? Uh, that's a problem. That arguably the top two players on the team aren't on the same page, according to the head coach. And then there's Montrez Harrell. Uh, Harrell on Monday night in 27 minutes, one second off the bench, 4-7 from the field, all twos, 0 of 2 on free throws. He finished with 8.7 rebounds and three assists versus no turnovers. I mean, it's not like Harrell was awful, but Montrez Harrell scored at least 10 points in each of his first 20 games this season. He now is not scored in double figures in six of the Wizards' last eight games. Contavious Caldwell-Pope on Monday night, just 3 of 10 on threes, just 2 of 6 on twos in 30-12 as a starter. Denny Avdia on Monday night, 
for a second consecutive game started in place of Kyle Kuzma with him out. But Avdia, in just 16 minutes, 35 seconds as a starter, had a game worst plus minus rating of minus 28. That's hard to do. Minus 28 in about 16 and a half minutes of playing time. Uh, Daniel Gafford in 2059 has a starter, six points on three of six shooting, five rebounds, and four fouls. He got schooled by Nikola Jokic for chunks of this game. There were two bright spots for the Wizards, uh, Davis Bertans and Aaron Holiday. Uh, Bertans in 31-25 off the bench, five and nine on threes. He finished with 21 points, five rebounds, and a game-best plus-minus rating of plus 22. That was odd in a game in which the Wizards were down by 33 points in the third quarter. The Wizards actually had the player in the game who wound up with the best plus minus rating in the game. And old Davies, who brought it on Monday night. And Holiday brought it too. 101 on threes, 5 of 7 on twos, 5 of 6 on free throws. He finished with 18 points and 6 rebounds in just 14.56 off the bench. But this is a problem, okay? Davies Bertans and Aaron Holiday were the Wizards' two best players on Monday night. The Wizards are not constructed so that Davies Bertans and Aaron Holiday are the team's two best players. Uh, next up for the Wizards, they are at the Sacramento Kings, Wednesday night at 10. One more item before we call it a show. So we on Monday afternoon had the introductory press conference for Tony Elliott as Virginia football head coach. I on Monday show, episode 206, gave you my thoughts on the Cavaliers hiring Elliott as head coach. Given what we know about Tony Elliott, I like the hire. Uh, Tony Elliott had a tremendous run as an offensive assistant at Clemson under its head coach, Dabo Sweeney. Elliott was an offensive assistant coach at Clemson for 11 seasons, 2011 to 2021. This was Elliott on Monday on how he wants the Wahoos, with him as head coach, to look on offense and defense in terms of styles and systems. I want to score and I want to stop people. <laughs> All right? I want to score. <laughs> no, great, great question. You know, so, so, so my background is, is, is a, is a two-back, uh, no-huddle spread. Um, that's, that's my background. But if you've watched over the years, it's been very multiple. Uh, and I think you have to adapt your system, you know, to the, uh, to the personnel that you have. And every, uh, every year, each team has its own identity. Right, so we'll we'll base out of that and, and 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 go from there. And I'm anxious to watch. And I told the guys last night the the offense that they run here, uh, man, it's always been intriguing to me. So it's going to be fun to to be able to watch uh, these guys practice and uh, and prepare uh, defensively. You know, it's, I want I want to be known as a controlled aggressive defense, uh, meaning that we're we're aggressive, but we're under control. We're sound. We get 11 hats to the football. Very good at disguising our coverages. We can be multiple find ways to uh, disrupt the uh, the decision maker and then stop the run. All right. Now, no head coach or defensive coordinator at his introductory press conference ever says that he wants his team defensively to not be aggressive. I'm still waiting for the head coach or defensive coordinator at his introductory press conference who says that he doesn't really want his team defensively to be aggressive. You know, I'm still waiting for the new coach who says of his defense, yeah, we're going to play a lot of soft zone coverages. You know, we're going to play bend, but don't break. Uh, and see what happens. But if you're a Virginia fan, to me, you got to be excited about what Tony Elliott could mean for the Cavs offensively. Again, Tony Elliott was a major force for a Clemson program that has largely been an offensive powerhouse for years now. Elliott was Clemson's co-offensive coordinator for its 2016 and 2018 
national championship seasons. Elliott was Clemson's co-offensive coordinator and then solo offensive coordinator for Trevor Lawrence's run as a Clemson quarterback, 2018 through 2020. Elliott was Clemson's co-offensive coordinator for Deshaun Watson's last two seasons as a Clemson quarterback, 2015 and 2016. Elliott coached running backs for Clemson during Travis Etienne's run as a Clemson running back, 2017 through 2020. Clemson, in fact, during Elliott's 10 seasons as running backs coach, 2011 through 2020, had a 1,000-yard rusher seven times, including ETN in the 2018 and 2019 seasons and running back Wayne Gallman in the 2015 and 2016 seasons. But of course, none of this matters if Tony Elliott it doesn't recruit well. Uh, and we're set up to have quite the recruiting battle now between the two most prominent new head football coaches in the state of Virginia, in the Commonwealth, Tony Elliott at Virginia and Brent Pry at Virginia Tech. Uh, this was Elliott on Monday on his recruiting philosophy. Recruiting starts in your own locker room. That's where we're going to start. And, and we're going to build a culture, right, that recruits itself. Uh, so we're going to have an inside-out mentality, uh, meaning that, that uh, we're recruiting the person first and the player second. So we're going to have to do a great job of evaluation and identifying those guys that fit uh, the profile on both ends from an academic standpoint and an athletic standpoint. Um, we're going to work, right? We're going to make the state a priority. Uh, we understand that, that, uh, that the Commonwealth has a ton of talent. Now, not every individual will be uh, the profile that we're looking for, but we're going to have relationships in the state. Uh, and I'm about relationships and recruiting. I know that times have changed, uh, you know, coming from a situation where uh, we're all, we were all over the place. Uh, but I still believe that you can have relationships. And at the end of the day, uh, that's what recruiting is to me. Uh, so we got to do a great job as a staff of recruiting our locker room first and making sure that once those guys get here, uh, they still feel, you know, like they're being recruited uh, so that they can go out uh, when we do bring uh, recruits on campus. And a big thing for me is just to, to get them on the grounds and let them see it. Yeah, given the transfer portal, uh, you know, this issue of re-recruiting players has never been bigger. Like, you have to recruit guys to the school, and then you have to re-recruit those guys every year to make sure that those guys don't leave you. But recruiting in general, obviously, matters a ton. Now, nothing matters more than whether Elliott can coach up the players who he does recruit, but you need talent. And this may be the biggest challenge for Elliott, getting high-level talent to come to Virginia. Now, high-level talent will come to Virginia, but especially with new blood at Virginia Tech now and Brent Pry, you're going to have a nice little battle here. Elliott in Charlottesville, Pry in Blacksburg, two guys who are just getting going as head coaches, two guys who are trying to establish themselves in the state of Virginia. This is going to be juicy, how each guy does and what the battle ends up being in terms of who is outdoing who. All right, that will do it for you and me, but just for now, keep the feedback coming. You can tweet me at Al Galdi. You can email me, the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. Wednesday's show, episode 208, will feature a discussion about the Washington football team's continued problems with its fan base, as seen by the continued overtaking of FedEx Field by opposing teams' fans. Most recently, of course, in the 27-20 loss to the Dallas Cowboys on Sunday afternoon. And I will welcome to the discussion a special guest, sports business expert Marty Conway. 
Uh, Marty Conway is an adjunct professor at Georgetown. He spent 15 years working in Major League Baseball, worked for the Orioles, worked for the Texas Rangers, worked for the commissioner's office, uh, also has worked for AOL. Uh, This is a guy who knows sports business exceptionally well. We're going to get into the weeds in terms of how the Washington football team can fix its problem with the team's fan base, if in fact that problem is fixable. Uh, We'll also see what, if anything else, emerges regarding the Washington football team's COVID-19 situation. Have a great rest of your Tuesday, and I'll talk to you on Wednesday. Not very good. It's happening daily. We're being conned by the institutions we used to trust. The mainstream media is distracting us with meaningless headlines instead of focusing on the harsh realities facing American families. Time is short before something big happens, and that's why so many folks are preparing. They're becoming self-reliant by investing in emergency food storage from My Patriot Supply. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure four-week emergency food kits for each member of your family. Each kit contains tasty breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Save $50 on each four-week food kit you purchase. Plus, get free shipping on Ready Hour four-week emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour foods. At My Patriot Supply, you can also get solar power generators, water filtration units, heirloom seeds, and survival gear. Order by 3 p.m., and your unmarked boxes ship the same day. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com.